scripture reading for today is from Matthew chapter 28. begins at verse 16, and reading through to the end of the chapter. Subject is uh, the Great Commission in the 21st century. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open your word to us today. It's difficult to do this. Even though we're in a worship service, there are still spiritual forces that would keep us from looking at the plain text of Scripture. We pray by your spirit that you would overcome this. Help us to see your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm not used to this, so. I'm used to teaching Sunday school and not sermonizing. So I'm going to go with you through a Sunday school lesson today. And it's printed in your bulletin. And it uh, is under the sermon notes. And the way I do Sunday school, since I'm long past preaching and only doing Sunday school lessons, is I try to keep clear divisions and try to move through the material. And so that's what I'm going to do with you today on this bulletin. So take a look at that, because what we're going to look at is the motive and reason for the Great Commission. And then we're going to look a little bit about how Jesus modeled the Great Commission in his life and ministry. And then finally get to the content uh, of the Great Commission. And we're going to tear those verses down a little bit and look at exactly what they say. And the idea is not what they say in some general way, but what they say to you uh, and to me at this point in our lives. And then finally, a final note, we'll be looking at the Great Commission and carrying it out in our world. And last week, um, Morgan uh, brought us our message talking about making uh, making him famous. And he quoted the Great Commission in this uh, lesson. He used some great illustrations and he talked about the fact that what our task is, is um, not ultimately to build up any person or persons but it is to make him famous. It's a great message. Thank you, Morgan. Um, And the thing that occasioned me speaking on this today was a letter, an email that someone shared with me. Um, This person, this close friend, had been sharing Christ, the gospel, via email with a friend, a former co-worker, 
in another state. And um, so he had shared different aspects of the gospel with this person. And the reason I'm starting out talking about the reason for the Great Commission is uh, this really speaks to it right here. So uh, what he had said was elements of the gospel, talking to her a little bit about Jesus' death on the cross, heaven, hell, everything that goes with the entire, the entire thrust of the gospel. And so she wrote back, and she wrote back this particular email, and it just struck me so hard that I had to, I've been thinking about it for three weeks, so. She said this, and I think, and she's very well educated. She is a person who um, I know background-wise, very intelligent, very thinking, and she, in a way, represents the thinking of the world around you. She said this, she said, uh, by the way, and about heaven, I can't go with you on this. I find, and it's very telling, listen to this sentence. I find it impossible to believe in a God who would punish us eternally for being mistaken about him. I have talked to some Christians who don't believe in hell, and sometimes I warm up to that point of view. But right now, the Buddhists and Hindus make as much sense to me as the Christians. I respect your belief, but I don't share it. I will do more reading and let you know if I get any closer. I thought it was so telling. Isn't that great that she just got it all down into one sentence? I find it impossible to believe in a God who would punish us eternally for being mistaken about him. The commonly held view. I mean, the majority of you, when you turn on the TV and you watch the news or see anything in, in terms of the media around you or the way people talk and so forth, I find it impossible to believe in a God who would punish us for being mistaken about him. Very telling. Okay, so let's uh, take a look. If I can work this now, I'm technologically challenged like mad. In my Sunday school class, I don't use anything this sophisticated. So let me try this. I want you to go with me to Romans 1. We're going to look at the reason for the Great Commission. And, and, and it bears on the email that I just read to you. The reason for the Great Commission is found in its entirety and with great profundity in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 speaks to all men everywhere, all women everywhere, all young people. And it begins this way, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. Interesting. So what these verses are saying is basically a person like the young lady that wrote this 
female, uh, rather than being mistaken about God, knows exactly who God is. See, people know God. They know him by reason of the fact that his creation is magnificent. He has invisible attributes. He has clearly revealed them to us. They know God because they are in his image. If you have a neighbor who doesn't know Christ, that person is in his image. They're not apart from God. They're in his image, and they sense that. They have a conscience. They have a personality. They have uh, the things that are incumbent upon them as being in his image. And so what these verses are saying to us is uh, what, what, they, what they see and know and understand and perceive about God, they plainly know, but they suppress it. They suppress the truth about who God is. That being the case, all men are without excuse before God. Fortunately, that is not the end of God's concern for us. Look at Romans chapter 21, 22 through 25. It's the next verse. Here we go. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Futile in their thinking. Okay, so here, here you start to have this picture of people who are suppressing the truth about God. They know God through his image. They know God through creation whether it's people in uh, a foreign country or whether it's people in your neighborhood, these are people that are in the same category. And so they know God, but they suppress it. All right. Now, in spite of this, having rejected the truth about God that has, God has clearly revealed to all human beings, I'm quoting James Boyce, a great quote, and later through Jesus Christ and the Bible, Human beings have been left to their own mental devices, which are incapable of working out or discovering reality. We will not have anything to do with God, so having rejected God, we can use our minds only to re rearrange error if operating on our own. So here's what you have. You have people who look at creation and behold his glory and his power. And they look at it, instead of saying, I worship God, I fall down before the creator of this. I see the power in it. Instead of that, they say, this couldn't possibly be God. It must be someone else. It must be some other explanation. Let us rearrange the thing so that we can come to our own conclusion. And that's what people are doing with God. Now, the motive for the Great Commission that we're going to look at is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in spite of this situation, in spite of people suppressing the truth about him, in spite of people rearranging erroneous notions about who God is and fleeing from him, not wanting anything to do with him, they don't want to have a conscience. They don't want to have a God that they're responsible to. Instead of uh, fleeing to God, 
they flee away from him. And his answer to this is to love them and offer his son, Jesus Christ, in spite of this absolute rebellion and sin that he has. Now, it's an awesome love. Another thing about my class that goes on all the time. We are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, just like the hymn Josh sang, by his blood to be received by faith. That's the love of Christ. And that indeed is the love of God for us. So this is a situation. Nobody is condemning anyone to hell because they are mistaken about God. Quite the contrary. People are not mistaken about God. They choose to be mistaken about God. They don't want anything to do with him. They want to run from him. Let's look at the Great Commission, the way Jesus modeled it. So into the midst of this comes the love of God to reach out, to touch people. And so Jesus teaches us a little bit about the model of the Great Commission. We're going to move on to the second area of our study. Because his method was not the method we would employ. I mean, if you ask me, how would you want to reach the masses? I would say, well, ah, some fantastic internet program or a tremendous uh, TV outreach or something along those lines. And then you would say, well, Jesus didn't ho have those things at his disposal. Well, men and women were Jesus' method. People. Touching people. That was the, the method that he used. He walked in the uh, ministry of his life and primarily dealt uh, with 12 people. And then he singled that, worked that down from 12 to 3 and focused on those people and taught them and poured into them lessons about the kingdom and who he was and what this was about. The world could be indifferent towards Jesus and still not defeat his strategy. It was a small number. Jesus' purpose was not to entertain. It was not to impress the crowd, but to usher in the kingdom. And you do that through people. He had to devote himself to a few rather than the masses in order that the masses could eventually be reached but the concept of discipleship is indeed that concept. So when you move down the study sheet, there it is, the model of the Great Commission. The method was his uh, men and women, and he concentrated. He selected a few. These 12, they were to have unique privileges and responsibilities in the kingdom work. He directly taught them about the kingdom. He taught them about human nature. It's all over the Gospels. Hypocrisy. Spent a great deal of time on hypocrisy, the few chapters leading up to the Great Commission. He talks to you, talks to them about cleaning up the inside in Matthew 23. He said, you know, to the great religious leaders of the day, he said, you look good, you look good, but inside, you don't have it together. Clean up the inside. He taught people about that. He taught his 12 about that. 
And then he, he, he zoned in on three, and he, and he took them to the Mount of Transfiguration with him. He took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And then when he was at Gethsemane, when, just about when he was to go to his death, he took apart Peter, James, and John, and they shared in that period of time with him. And he, he became very distressed and anguished during that period. And they saw that. They were privy to that because he exposed himself to them. But he did not neglect the masses, and that's why the third little point, point on the study sheet is masses, sermon notes. He continually preached to the crowds, and, and what you find is Jesus not only concentrated on these people in teaching them about the kingdom, but he preached to the crowds, he healed them, he taught them, he fed them so that he had no leisure. He truly loved them and had compassion for them. He wasn't doing it uh, to entertain them. He had compassion. He cared about them. He fed them. He healed them. He worked with them. Uh, he was often pressed uh, so that he couldn't rest because of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What's the key? Well, the key is to believe in him. So that's what he was doing. That was his model, and that was a setup. So I, don't, I just don't think that the love of God makes sense unless you first see who it is he's loving. He's loving the world, and the world is a mass of people who don't like him. Please get that. They don't like him. The world does not want anything to do with him. The world is opposed to the Lord. That's what Romans 1 is saying. We'd rather suppress the truth. We'd rather stay away from him. We don't want him knowing us. We don't want to be known, and yet he's omniscient. He knows us. We don't want to be run by him, yet he is sovereign. We don't want anything to do with him. We want to live our own lives in freedom. It's the cry of the world. It's because they don't like who God is. So Jesus loves, in spite of this, to overcome it through the cross. Let's look at the content of the Great Commission. First of all, all authority and all power is given to Christ. Now we have, I have more technological great stuff here. Here's the Great Commission. So here we are in Matthew 28. When they saw him, they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They fell down and worshipped him. Now that's worthy of a message on of it, in and of itself. That's where it begins. They worshipped him. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Amazing. Think about that. The resurrected Christ in his glorified body has been given all authority and power by the Father in heaven and on earth. Now, this is astounding. This is the way he chooses to exercise the power. Well, you would say, you know, 
it might be a new world order. It might be political might. It might be uh, uh, some unusual, unique form of government. It might be some way of exercising this power. But in fact, the way he exercises the power is through a takeover, follow this, of souls. be redeemed by his blood through using us that's right you you are you are the power of the reach of the kingdom and so rather than choose some mighty way of doing this or some giant program or some political powerful thing in humility jesus turns to these men to to, in effect through the years to us And he said, I'm going to use you. All authority and power has been given to me. Now, you go. Another way to read this is, having gone, you go, therefore, and make disciples. That's that's the program. It's amazing. It just falls so far short of, you know, major news outlets' expectations. They would be gathered around waiting for the next shoe to drop. How can it be this simple? You go and make disciples. That's the program of Jesus. Now, you would say, well, that's not very sophisticated. And I guess it's not sounding very sophisticated. But the Great Commission is a command to bring unbelievers throughout the world. People who don't like God and don't want anything to do with God. But have not heard, and they've heard of God, they know God. But they haven't heard of his love and the cross. This is his program. He wants to bring unbelievers throughout the world to a saving knowledge of Christ. And the term used is to make disciples. You and I are to be his instruments. You are to be his instruments. You need to stand ready to give reason for the hope that is within you. And so, you know, when you move a church or when you reach out or whatever you... It's, it's, it's individual people. It's, it's not programs. It's people reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. That's what it's about. That's, that's what the Great Commission is. And the main verb in the thing is make disciple. And the two simultaneous actions that happen to the verb, baptizing and teaching. All that I have commanded you. And I'm with you always. That's the Great Commission. So, what I don't think you ought to go out and try to baptize people because that is properly handled through the church. But what it means is baptism is an outward sign of something that happens in the heart. It happens in an unbeliever's heart. It is a transaction of faith. It is being born again. I heard the phrase on TV the other day about so-and-so is a born-again Christian, and I was sincerely wondering what other kind there is. Is there another kind of Christian? I have not heard of that. So if, if you're reaching out with the gospel to someone, you have a view to them being baptized and being identified with Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have that in mind. 
But first, they have to know of the love of God, the love of Christ, what happened on the cross, the resurrection, and, and these are the facts of the gospel. So when you reach out to someone, that is what the message is. Those are the facts. Then uh, a person has to hear that. They have to hear those facts, and then they have to assent to the truth of them. It will hit them that this is true. It's not just that they're the facts of the gospel. Everybody knows the facts of the gospel. That's not it. You assent to their truth. And then the third step over here is, do you trust Christ for your salvation as he's offered in the gospel? It's one of our membership uh, questions. So there's three parts to faith. And so if you are to make disciples and if you want to follow Christ in the carrying out of the Great Commission, then it becomes your burden to care about the souls of men and women for the gospel of Jesus and them coming to Christ. And so I want to say this advisedly because I I don't want to be misunderstood. It's not about building a church per se, okay? It's about building lives. It's about discipling men and women to Jesus. And I don't want to be misunderstood because I love this church and I love the ministry of it. But it's not even discipling people to the church. It's discipling people to Jesus. That's what the Great Commission is. And it's your job. We have this great staff. We have uh, actually uh, a fine group. We have everything is uh, laid out in a beautiful way administratively for what we do and how we do it here. But it's not their job, it's yours. And so that's, that's the message of the Great Commission. Now, everybody's saying, well, I guess I'm supposed to go next door to my neighbor and beat him over the head with some gospel tract. And I'm not saying that at all. It may be that you just pray for that person, for an opportunity. Maybe it's a cup of coffee. Maybe, you have, maybe they're a reader. Maybe they would read something that you could pass along. Maybe you could actually openly share the gospel with them at some point. They will have a need. There will be something that happens in their lives. It will be a brokenness issue. Maybe they'll turn to you. Just pray that that would be true. Pray that you can reach out and further the Great Commission. But the baptizing is the conversion of souls into the kingdom through being born again by exercising faith and being saved then be, being baptized in the church. Now, the teaching is a little bit more involved than that, I think, because uh, our mission is not simply to convert, but to teach. The convert is called to a life of obedience to the Lord in order to obey him. It is necessary to know what he requires. And so when you start thinking about reaching out to people and discipling, there are certain things that you want to impart to a person beyond the basic facts of the gospel, which I've covered in, in the baptizing aspect. I mean, you want to talk to people about uh, what the resurrection is and what it means. You want to talk about the importance of the Bible to a new Christian. You want to talk about how to pray. You want to talk about 
how to read the Bible, how to meditate on the Bible. And so I think supremely what, it, what, what I'm talking about is I'm calling on each one here today to be faithful in the basics. Because uh, if you're not understanding in your own life how to read the scriptures, if you're not understanding how to share your faith, then um, we have great teaching. We have ways to impart this to you through not only individual people that are around you, but also through the services and ministries of the church. So, you know, you've got to look forward and say, well, there's somebody who's out there who's going to come to Christ. What can I share with them? You're going to share with them how to pray, how to share their faith, how to read the Bible, how to meditate, how to think about assurance of salvation, the Lordship of Christ, how to share your faith, faith in your life, believing God and relying upon him every day. So you say, well, that's amazing. I can't even conceive of doing all that with somebody who's a neighbor of mine. Well, let me ask you this. Have you done this with your children? We take covenantal vows when we're baptized, right, when we baptize babies. And Robert makes it really clear in his explanation of that. And so do you work with your kids? Do you, do you find yourself uh, faithful in the basics in your own life, understanding that? And do you find yourself able to impart and actively imparting them to your children? I think that's what covenantal responsibility is. That's what parental responsibility is. Have you ever talked to your kids about the importance of the scripture in their lives? Have you talked to them about how to share their faith or anything along the lines of these categories? But the, most, the single most important thing I think you can impart to a young person or a child about the Lord and about um, the word and so forth in terms of discipleship is your attitude towards the Bible and Christ. Your attitude will teach so much more in the home than any other thing. You can give people books and all that, but it's your attitude towards the Lord. It's your attitude towards the scripture that will make it live. That's true in the home. So that's part of the teaching responsibility, and that goes beyond that. So it's kind of a generational thing where you reach out, you pray, you seek people, and you don't seek them just to get to know them. You seek them, I believe, in order to share Christ with them and to share the elements of the gospel and the other things that are so vital. Those are the things that we share. And you begin at home. Basically, that's the concept I have of making disciples. Now, finally, understand God's heart. I think God's heart has always yearned to bring sinful, rebellious men, people who know God and turn away, to himself and to give them eternal life his son Jesus Christ he de scripture says it this way he desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth and the motive is grace and undeserved love and then finally um, we want to tend to the training you know being a witness 
when I was first a Christian, I, uh, I was taught to witness. Well, well, that's something that you do, you, you witness. Well, actually, I came to find out, really, witness is a noun. It's something that you are. It's not something that you do. It's something that you are. Then there's other things that you do. But you are a witness. You are a witness. Worship and praise to God is the ultimate goal of the church. I think this is the most important hour of the week, right here. The vital elements of a church program, such as our small groups, Sunday school, youth fellowships, are part of the mission of the church. They're vital, but they prepare us, they prepare you as believers to fulfill the mission of the Great Commission. You know, it's not the end in itself. I don't feel like I've accomplished my end if I um, attend a meeting or if I attend uh, a Bible study or even a small group, as vital and powerful and important as those are, and I'm totally committed to those. But those things prepare you to reach the world. That's the Great Commission. You know, it's like when you train for athletics. You're in the training in the gymnasium and you're learning all these things, but don't confuse the training with the game. And so the game is to reach men and women for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for uh, Jesus teaching us through his life and example. Pray that you'd uh, teach us from this. Bless this, the scripture of Matthew 28. We pray it in Jesus' name.